This podcast is part of the Podbelly Network. Please visit podbelly.com to see a complete listing of all of our other shows. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mix in just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries, eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Pauly, and their dog Ninja. Hey guys, welcome to episode 224 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. Hello, hello, hello. Well, Tracy, this is going to be one of those episodes to where we are going to be out of town doing mm-hmm. some fun Halloween stuff. And we've spent most of our week doing like the Halloween episode and stuff like that. So I didn't get any research done for this week, unfortunately. Sorry, guys. But we do have a cool episode to play from that we did back in June for Patreon. So if you're a Patreon supporter, you've probably already heard this. But we've got a nice little uh, interview from Tony from the Lexington Paranormal Research Society that we're going to play at the end. So you haven't heard that one yet. So you get that. So how about that? That sounds good. But I think you're going to like the ones if you haven't heard this. You're going to like this one. It's, it's basically just unexplained phenomena so Mm -hmm. it's a couple little different stories in there that i think you guys are going to like so yes all right first of all obviously we want to thank all of our military and civil servants all over the world no matter which country you represent thank all of you guys and gals and dogs for everything you do to help keep us safe yes god bless you guys still on our prayer list and we just appreciate y'all so much for watching over us and keeping us safe And we just think about you guys all the time. We also want to remind everybody that if you're struggling right now, depression-wise, the holidays are coming up. This is always the time of year where people even struggle even more with COVID added to it. Now people who, you know, you know, a lot of times it's just people who don't have family during this time. And that's when they really miss them the most. Now you've got family that you still can't even might be able to see. Mm -hmm. You know, that's going to make it tough on, on an even larger variety of people. So just remember, if you need to lean on somebody, lean on us, lean on the group. And uh, if you need to call somebody a little more professional, you can call. You can call them at 1-800-273-8255, and you can text them at 741-741. And just remember, our number is always open for you guys to call and talk to anybody in the group um, because we would love to be your family and celebrate the holidays with you. All right. So... We're going to get this out of the way in the beginning, but we are proud to be sponsored by El Yucateco Hot Sauce, the number one habanero-based hot sauce in the United States, top 10 in all hot sauces. You can find it at most of your major grocers, including Target and Walmart. If not, just ask them to start carrying it, or you can go to elyucateco.com and pick up your own and your merch and everything else you can have El Yucateco related absolutely you guys will not regret it it is delish yeah and we tried some on nachos again this week yeah I'm, it's we keep trying them the same recipe but with the different flavors of the hot mm-hmm. sauce and uh this time i've used it with the jalapeno before and this time we used it with the uh extra hot and that was fine for me but it was a little too much for tracy just a little bit <laughs> <laughs> My innards are getting old, is all I can say. <laughs> all right, Tracy, we're going to listen to this episode. And then after that, uh, we'll do a little housekeeping. We'll play the uh, uh, Patreon and our new reviews and talk about that. And then uh, we've got our interview. Hey, guys, welcome to the June 2020 bonus episode. Well, I'll be dang. It's June already. <laughs> it's almost, we're halfway through June. It's close to being July. Isn't that crazy? It is. It's, it's crazy as all get out. Oh, yeah. I thought today's bonus episode, we would do things that, I, I guess, for the lack of a better term, would be listed as unexplainable events. So it doesn't fit with everything. You know, it's not necessarily a, a typical haunting or mm-hmm. poltergeist. It's just things that really weird type of situations. And and I found a couple and I thought it would be fun to do a couple of those stories today. Sounds great. All right. 
Cause like I said, sometimes we come across these things that like they just don't fit with the regular stories. And a lot of them aren't big enough to do a full show on. So you almost have to group them together. Or when we do find them, we'll group together. Like when we do the past live story, mm-hmm. you know, we'll do four or five stories that are all past lives. But like this first story that we're going to do tonight, there really is anything else you can group it with. It just kind of stands alone, like one hit wonders. Okay. Like songs that are, you know, one hit wonders. All right. Are we ready? Ready. First story tonight is cool as hell. In 1918 in Lincolnshire, England, there was a group called the Transport Yard. And this was like a, uh, a military branch, mm-hmm. more or less. This is where the planes came and went. So they get the news that they were going to be disbanded. Now, this was a very close, close-knit close group of about 100 people. So they decided that they were going to have a group photo done, much like a class photo or something with all of them in their, in their uniforms, sitting yeah. side by side, you That's know, nice. All, all nice together. So they had this professionally done. They obviously were looking for something since they were so close that they could just hold on to forever and be able to look back on. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like your yearbook. Yeah. So the day that the picture was going to be taken, there was somebody missing. This gentleman went by Freddie Jackson. So there's a few variations of why Freddie wasn't there that day. Uh, both have the same end result, unfortunately. Freddie passed away. A couple of days before the picture was to be Aww. taken. Oh, that sucks. So one version says that he died while he was on leave. Uh, there, they, there was a young lady there at the time. And her job was solely to take people like into town when they were on their leave. And then pick them up a couple of days yeah. later. So I mm-hmm. guess nobody was really, I mean, 1918, not everybody had cars back then. Right. But the, her job was to get them to the city or get them to where they were going that was close. So they could have a little, you know, rest and relaxation. Then get, get them back a couple of days later. And the story is, while this gentleman was on, on that couple of day leave, he passed away. Don't know exactly what happened. There was another story, though, that says that he actually walked into one of the propellers. <gasps> Of the plane on the of one of the planes on the transplant transport yard. Oh my god, that's horrible. Yeah, I would hate to think what that would look oh. like. So, regardless of how it happened, Freddie had died a day or two before this picture was taken. So now we're going to fast forward to when the actual photo arrived to be distributed to the people who had, who had them. So there was Freddie on the back roll of this picture. The Freddie who was not there who passed away. Two days ago. Now, Freddie didn't look like everybody else because everyone else was wearing their hat, their military hat. Freddie didn't have on a hat. It was as if he was peeking out from behind one of the other officers in the back. Mm-hmm. Keep in mind, this was not a double exposure and there was no Photoshop back in 1918. I was going to say, he may start at the photo bomb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't even know it. This picture was actually put through scientific examination but was found that there was no irregularities whatsoever. Now I'm going to, I'll try to find this picture again and post it on here so people can see it, but it really is cool. So what you see is when you zoom in on the back, you've got a gentleman sitting there and two thirds, I would say of Freddie's face is there. It's almost like maybe his, uh, his right cheek is blocked a little bit from the guy in front of him, but you can see his face. And it, it's a little bit transparent. That's what I was going to ask you if it yeah. was. It's a little bit transparent, but it's pretty clear. It's it's not a situation where you could say, oh, that could be anything, like looking at a cloud. Right. You, know, you might see it looks like a goose. I might say it looks like something else, but it's still up for interpretation. That's not the case with this picture. This picture is definitely of a person, and everybody who saw it said there's no ifs, ands, or buts. That's Freddie Jackson. Wow. Now, see how cool he was to show up for the picture, though? Yeah, it was like... He is like a team player. I'm not missing this no matter what. Yeah. (laughs) But no, when you see the picture and you see it up close, it's it's really cool. Oh, that's sweet. But I'm sorry that happened to you, Freddie. Yeah, that's a it's a horrible stay story. Away, stay away. As far as that what part the hell? Of it. Why is he doing that? Well, how did he get it that close? I, I don't know. I mean, maybe he was maybe the plane was moving forward and he didn't see it. I mean, just because it said he walked into it doesn't mean that maybe he was like you know not paying attention well, or something. It could be anything. Let me give you a little advice. Try walking into a bar, <laughs> not a propeller. You'll have a better outcome. Yeah, that reminds me of the old joke: uh, two men walk into a bar and a third one ducked. <laughs> <laughs> you know now you mean walking to a propeller oh. <laughs> it's, I know it's not funny but it's so funny every time I see pictures 
or videos of people that actually walk into a bar. I mean, like a pole or something. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's so funny. It's like that uh, the episode, and they've been showing it on the advertisements now of King of Queens when when Doug was running and he runs right into that that uh, phone booth thing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I she, laugh every time I, I see it. I know it. She just kept on trucking too. All right. This next story is about a ghost ship off the coast of Western Australia. And before you say anything, yes, I know we've done ghost ships before. This ghost ship's different, though. Okay. It's completely different. So this is a real ship, first of all. So when you think ghost ship, you think, you know, oh, well, people can see it or it shows up like the, you know, the Dutchman yeah. and not Flying Dutchman. It's not like that. It's a real ship. It's called the Alchemist. And this is a huge rusted out ship. That was, uh, it's kind of got its own ghost named Henry, which is why we're calling it a ghost ship. Hmm. In the last 57 years, approximately 30 people who've had some kind of direct tie to this ship, such as scuba divers uh, that were, or, or photographers or something like that, had something to do with the ship, or caretakers, have all had some type of an incident or untimely death. 30. Golly. <laughs> For the last 400 years, the stretch of um, coastline right there in Australia has been very disastrous for ships. It's very dangerous, much like the uh, Cape of Good Hope down there oh. where around Africa right there. It's just really rocky and a lot of, lot of problems. Lo yeah. So everything from, from old galleon ships back in the day to today's oil tankers all have ran into problems there. So the Alchemist became a casualty back in March 20th, 1963, when it was traveling from Indonesia and it ran ashore. Now, when I say it ran ashore, don't think of, don't think of the fact of like, okay, where well, here's the shoreline and the ship is right there on it. Like it, you know, ran up onto the, the sand and stuff. It's, it's still out of ways, like probably at least a couple of football fields away, but it's just that the, the water is so shallow there. That's where it stopped. So it didn't make it all the way to the land where it's dry. But don't these boats know this? Well, I mean, sometimes, sometimes probably not. I mean, they they might think they know, but I guess it just depends on the conditions. I mean, could have got blown there from weather conditions well, or high tides. So I, I don't know. Right. But I mean, when people think it washed ashore, they're thinking that it's like up you on know, the yeah, it's up on the the dirt and yeah. stuff, and that's not the case. It's still out a little bit, mm -hmm. but it's like it's like if you see these ships kind of dock a little bit out, and then you'll have to get into a boat and roll the rest of the way ashore. Mm -hmm. That's what it's like. Mm -hmm. Okay, so. Since it got stranded there, it's been one incident after another. Several attempts to salvage the ship have been unsuccessful. So for whatever reason, people can't even get it out of there. And they could they can't, you know, they've tried to do things like cut it apart and stuff like that. And as soon as they start to try to dismantle it from where it's at, incidents happen where they can't finish it. So what, they, so what does that mean? It the just, boats are just hanging just, there? It just stays there. Forever? It's just, well, kind of. It's been there ever since. And like right now, if you was to go there, there's like little bits and pieces of it still standing there where it's slowly eroded away. But, you know, 15 years ago, the whole ship was still there. Oh, my Just gosh. Rusted. That's crazy. So a young American, this is back when it first happened, back in the, in the 60s. A young American that was over there studying, his name was Wayne Morgan. He decided that, you know, they needed a caretaker to stay on the boat. Because at this time, I guess they thought they were maybe going to be able to you know, mm -hmm. get it out of there and all this stuff, the company that owned it. He was keeping a diary. In the beginning of the diary, he expressed how happy he was to get this job because it was it was a really quiet job, which he could do his job while he still studied for school. And he also was an avid fisherman, so he could fish anytime he wanted to. It was the perfect job. That's not what he got, though. <laughs> that, that's what he thought he was going to get. That's not what he got. He started having things... At, at nighttime happened and he said he started feeling like the presence of someone there. He got scared to even wander around the ship. In the diary he wrote on the 14th of July, 1963, 10:15 PM been down to the engine room, but never again. It's the eeriest place on the ship. From the time I left my cabin, I could hear footsteps following me. I was scared out of my wits. Oh, on another occasion, there was no movement on the boat at all. So there was, it wasn't the sound of the ocean. It wasn't 
creaking, whatever. There was no movement at all. It's pretty. It's a decent sized ship. Mm-hmm. And he said that uh, a huge iron door that was between the bridge and the captain's quarter slammed shut with a hell of a force, as if the door was intentionally slammed. I think I didn't been off that ship. He got so scared that he dropped his flashlight and he ran in the other direction. He had no idea where he was running to, but he said he ended up in the engine room and then back to his cabin. And he said he vowed then at that point that he would never go out after night again outside of his cabin. No way. No way. I'm with you, bro. The noises increased over the time and the caretaker became even more scared. He eventually left and checked himself into a psychiatric hospital. <gasps> Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. It got to him that bad. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Why didn't he just move away? He did. Into a psychiatric hospital. No, I mean, before that. (laughs) I don't know. I guess he figured he could handle it. Bless his heart. His dream job is horrible. It's a nightmare job. Yeah. So, there's a gentleman over there by the name of Jack Sue. He's a professional scuba diver. And he was fascinated with the ship. And he was especially even more fascinated after he found out about the diary and studied the diary and read everything on it. He decided to go onto the ship to kind of get some more information. So he basically knew that the guy had checked himself into a mental hospital already. Yeah, this is literally years later. This is like in this is like in the early nineties now. So we're like we're like twenty seven years, twenty eight years after that. He teamed up with a sound engineer by the name of Graham Greenwood. So one night they decided they were going to go out there, get on the ship, and they were going to try to record and see Mm -hmm. these footsteps and stuff. Well, he said that once they eliminated the stuff like the wind and the sea and all that stuff from the sounds, what was left sounded like screams. And I've actually heard some of the audio from it. And it's the craziest, it almost sounds like if you've ever heard like a bobcat or a wildcat or something mm-hmm. scream, they, it sounds almost like a woman screaming, but it's really creepy. Oh. That's what it sounds like. on. So the guy actually left his diary then on the boat. Oh yeah. I don't know. I don't know if he left it on the boat or how, but it, I mean, or maybe it was, they just, but, it, but somebody had it Yeah. from, from years before. Oh, wow. I wonder what happened to him. I don't know. I didn't see anything. I didn't really look for any further, to be honest with you. You ain't curious? I was curious, but I would, I just, it didn't really, I was so caught up in the other parts of the story, I didn't even think about following up on it. Oh, him. okay. So Graham Greenwood said that he couldn't wait to get off the boat the next morning. He and Jack Sue say that the thing that they heard that night in the early 1990s are still scary to them to this day. Jack said that he heard moans. That sounded like someone was rolling over in their sleep. He said that actually happened when he was laying down trying to sleep. Okay, they had the recorders and stuff set up. He's laying down. He's trying to get some sleep. And he said he could hear something behind him. And he said, you know how like somebody will be sleeping and they'll be moaning in their sleep. But yeah. it's like, you know, he said that's what it sounded like. And then he rolled over and just to verify, and there was absolutely nobody in the room with him. But he knows it sounded like a person moaning. So, let's go back. For a time, the ship started back after the first caretaker left. The ship started using Filipinos as their caretakers. But they didn't last long either. The same footsteps, doors opening and closing, tools and equipment disappearing. And that was the end for almost every caretaker. Every one of them had the same experiences. Mm -hmm. After that, a married couple took on the job. Now, the woman in this couple was pregnant. One night, the woman took a nasty fall. I don't know if it was down some steps or it just said, all I saw is she took a nasty fall. She laid in the floor for hours knowing that this baby was due any minute. The rescue team was all gathered out out on the shore and stuff. They were getting everything together. But like I said, this boat's out a little bit. It's not as, you can't just run an ambulance out there. You got to get out there. You got to rescue her. You got to get her out. So it took several hours to actually get her out of there. But, you know, they did it by sounding like something out of a James Bond movie or something. They had to take like a a rocket thing and shoot a rope from the shore out to the ship. 
tie it off. They put her in like a, a special kind of chair and then brought her, hooked her onto the rope and like, you know, what's that called? The zip, zip line like deal. And that's how they got her to shore. They take her to the hospital and unfortunately the baby was stillborn. Aww. Bless her heart. Many more caretakers came to the ship. Sometimes it was noises. Sometimes it was other things. But they all ended up leaving. One of the caretakers said that the biggest problem they had, besides the noises and stuff, is they would smell cooking smells coming from the gallery. The gallery where there was no food or gas or yeah, anything right, to run yeah. the stove. And the stove was always ice cold, yet they could still smell food cooking from in there. Maybe they just hungry. Maybe. For the 50-plus years, speculations on what or who the ghost is has been all around. Obviously, the ghost is called Henry, but that was just a name given. Nobody mm-hmm. really, you know, it's not associated to somebody named Henry that died or any mm-hmm. of that stuff. There was a medium that had checked uh, at the location, and she felt that a murder had happened on board the ship, but didn't give any kind of details as to what she was seeing or feeling. Right. She just felt like there was a murder. A priest was actually brought in to exercise the ship. Unfortunately for him, he decided to do some fishing from the alchemist's deck before <laughs> doing the exorcism. He cast this line, and uh, as you can imagine, it's got a big, huge sinker on it. And after he cast it, something threw it back <gasps> from the water cracked him in the forehead and he had to be taken off the boat and go have stitches. He never went back. Seriously. Seriously. He missed out on some good fishing just (laughs) because he didn't exercise first or exorcist or whatever you call it. Yeah, you should have done an exorcism first. That's what he was there for. Always work before play. No doubt. He could have caught a big old whale. My guess is he probably didn't take it serious. He's like, oh, okay, I'll go out there and do the exorcism, whatever. Because, I mean, if he took it serious, you would think that that would have been his... He wouldn't have been relaxed enough well, no to just way. be dilly-dallying around the boat. My guess. Ugh. The ship has become famous for its ghostly activity, obviously. In 1990, there was a skeptical radio show host by the name of Ted Bull. He decided he wanted to do something fun for a Halloween show, and they'd already done the haunted houses and all that stuff. And he wanted to do something different. He thought, you know what? We'll go out to the Alchemist. You know, since everybody knows that story, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll record out there. So they get out there. They're along. They're like kind of set up alongside the ship, not on the ship. And they're testing the equipment. No problems whatsoever. Everything's great. So they start to show off with the Ghostbusters thing. <laughs> I don't know if maybe the ghost didn't like it, or maybe they just thought it was poking fun of them, or whatever the situation was. But every time they would mention Henry the Ghost, the feed would get really weak and staticky and cut in and out. Just like if you're in a bad cell area for a phone. Yeah. The people running the equipment on the shore couldn't explain it. And they said that there was absolutely no reason at all why that should be happening. They'd already tested all the stuff earlier. They said there weren't in that area where, you know, not even the metal from the ship should have affected anything they were doing. And it only happened when... They did the stories about Henry. And whenever they mentioned Henry is when it would happen every time. Oh, wow. He wasn't trying to join that party at all. No, he was not. I'll tell you the next story after this quick break from our sponsor, Blue. All right, next story. This is, like I said, some of these are really short, too. This is a strange incident involving police in Wiltshire, England. So the town of Wiltshire is a lot like uh, a Nevada desert in the way that it's set up. But it's also a lot like the Nevada desert as far as UFO sightings. There's a bunch of military installations all around, a bunch of UFO, UFO sightings. So it's kind of thought to be like Britain's Area 51. Ooh, nice. All these little military installations and stuff around there, a lot of people seem to think that they are there for UFO research and what have you, but it's all hush-hush, just mm-hmm. like Area 51 is. Also in this area is Solberry Hill. It's the largest prehistoric man-made mound in Europe. This thing, if you look at it, I mean, it literally looks like a mini mountain. And it's, you know, it's all covered with grass and all that stuff. It's pretty, but it's just like a a, a big hill stuck in the middle of a bunch (laughs) of flat land. So obviously it was man-made from back in the day. They don't know why. 
Uh, it was thought to have been built either twenty four between twenty four seventy and twenty three fifty BC. Oh my goodness! So pretty cool. I wonder how long it took them to do that. I don't know. What we do know is what happened in July of two thousand and seven. A police officer was driving by Soberger Hill. He saw these three tall, blonde-haired figures. They were dressed in robes near the hill. So at first he thought this was like a forensic officers or something like that because they were investigating the crops that were there. Mm -hmm. He decides to kind of pull over, go over and investigate, see what was going on. He said as he approached the field, he hears a strange staticky sound, almost as if a current was running through the crops in the field, like an electrical current. Ooh, that would have been crazy. He starts to feel uneasy. He said the hairs on his arms and his neck stood up. He yelled out to the three men. They ignored him. <laughs> As friends would do. <laughs> <laughs> and then the figures in the field, he said, just started running. And they were running at a speed that he said was impossible for any human to run. I didn't know aliens were fast. Well, apparently these are. So then they just suddenly vanished, obviously. They're running fast and they just disappear. But the sound was still there. It was kind of reverberating throughout the field. That He said that's when he got really scared. So he runs back to his car. He gets in and he has an immediate pounding headache. He decides to come back at a later date. He's got a researcher named Colin Andrew with him. He noticed that from the angle that the officer had been passing by, it would have been almost impossible for him to see anybody in the field. So how did he see these three men? The officer said that he just knew something was, was there. So he felt like some kind of a psychic energy or something that something was, was going on. So he that's what made him get out of his car. But he says he saw these people. But the reason he even looked to begin with was he something just felt funny to him. Right. So it didn't stop there, though. In the days after the event, the officer began having poltergeist activity in his home. Andrew said that it's very common for people who have had an experience, especially a, an alien encounter, to have these things happen. It may be common, but it's not normal, as if he connected somehow with the uh, beings and, and he, that he came in contact with. Oh, so they kind of followed him home maybe a little bit. Something. Whew, that's so scary. Do you see what I'm saying about these stories, though? They're kind of standalone, like they're uh -huh. just... Yeah. They're not really the, you know, the same kind of stories typically, and most of them are fairly short, but... So the other guys just didn't believe him or just didn't... Well, I mean, there was only one guy that I guess this researcher is the one that said it's not uncommon to yeah. have these things, so he obviously believed it. He just said that it was, it would have been hard for him to just notice going by, and, and mm -hmm. you know, so the police officer says, well, he just had a feeling to look where he looked, so I don't know. That's crazy talk. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the last story is one of these mysterious light stories. Now, we've done some of these, like the the, the, the Marfa lights in Texas or the uh, infinite number of spook light stories that we have around the world. But these are the um, Hestelin lights. Make sure I get my, my Norwegian right. These, these, these are in the Hestelin Valley in Norway. For decades... It's been one of the world's largest light displays. So there's a series of large floating lights. In some cases, they're as big as a car. They float in place, sometimes for hours. So this isn't something that just, oh, did you see that? It's like, they'll just stay there. So anybody just come and look, and people do. They come from all over the world to come see these things. So just for long periods of time, or like mm -hmm. every day, or? Well, they said that, that, they were seen as often as 20 times a week in the 1980s. Oh, I don't know how often they're seen now, but it's still going on from my understanding. But because there been, it's happened so often, it was made even easier to be studied, where some of these things really wouldn't. Now people have been coming out there, scientists, to be able to study this. So scientists have said that they put, they put off some kind of an electric charge as much as 19 kilowatts of power. So if you go up and try to touch one of these lights, you're going to get zapped. <laughs> like touching an electric eel or something like Ooh, that. That'd be a good mosquito killer. Yeah. <laughs> but they don't have mosquitoes right there. <laughs> I guess they don't. <laughs> so there's a, a wide range of theories as to what's going on here. One of them is that the effect is something they call a column crystal. A column crystal can form in plasma 
which is basically a form of electrically charged gas. So they're not physical in the sense that you could actually pick one of them up. Think of it more like a cloud. Oh. So it's there. You can put your hand in it and you'll get shocked. Right. But it's not like something you can just grab and put in a pocket. Like not and a take sol- it yeah, like not a solid right. object. If enough charged particles were trapped inside of, of, of such a crystal, their combined glow could shine pretty brightly. So that's what they think may be happening. So why Norway? Some scientists seem to think that there's some source uh, there in the atmosphere, I guess. It's a, it's a type of uh, atmospheric dust. Mm-hmm. And they think that when this comes in contact with radon gas, it's what causes the cloud. No. That's interesting. Radon's radi- radioactive, and as it decays, it emits radiation. So that would kind of make sense. So it could be radioactive. That could explain a lot of your gas. I don't think that would. Why? That could explain the burning, though. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, when, when that radiation would be emitted, that could electrically charge the dust in a way that makes column crystals more likely. So there's your first theory. Other researchers think that it may be a special case of ball lightning, which is unexplainable phenomena on, on its own. And ball lightning, have you ever really discussed ball lightning? Um, <laughs> I said that trying to keep a straight face. <laughs> now that I can recall. Well, ball lightning. I've talked about sweaty balls a lot. Yeah, that's completely different. Yeah. You wouldn't want to get that electricity. It'd be a whole different version of ball lightning. Yeah. <laughs> um, Ball lightning, I'm not going to go into a bunch of details here, but it literally looks like a ball. looks like a ball of light, and it's supposed to be a really rare thing that only like 5% of the population has ever actually seen. And I know it'll, in some cases, it's been known to come through windows and land like on a floor and roll around and then just disappear. Um, It's just, it's really, it's just a really strange phenomena that nobody can really figure out exactly what it is. So it's going to break your window. No, it doesn't break. It just goes through. Oh, that's cool then. Yeah, it just comes through. I was going to say, how are you going to break a window and then just disappear? That's so rude. Anyway, let's see. Where did that leave off at? So think of this as a type of lightning, but instead of a storm causing it, it's caused by the unique uh, geology and the rocks and stuff that that are found there, mainly because they have all kinds of quartz there in the area and they mm-hmm. think that may be the key here quartz generates an electric field by itself and when strained under physical forces like a compression it can let off electricity wow so That'd all be that cool ex- to see. huh i said that would be cool to yeah. see so all that excess electricity could actually change what's going on and result in the light up hmm. so, anyways that's our story for you this this uh, bonus episode I wonder if it makes people's electric bill go up. I don't think it would because it's not running through the electric lines. True. So. Okay. I wonder if they could tap into it to lower the electric bill. That would be amazing. So, I want to get off the grid. I know. I don't know if I can handle that or not. (laughs) You couldn't handle it because you can't stay off your phone long enough. Sure I can. Tracy. Tracy. What? You're, you're on your phone nonstop. And I mean more than any human I've ever met in my life. Well, you have not met the Kardashians because they are always on their phone. No, no. If we're in a car on a five-hour trip, you're on your phone four and a half hours of it. If you're in the bathroom, you're on your phone. If you're sitting at watching TV, you're on your phone. We were in the grocery store the other day and you were pushing your cart and playing a game at the same time. That's Jerry Polly. Tracy, Polly, don't say you wouldn't. I weren't. I was collecting coins. I wasn't playing. What was you not on your phone while you were pushing the cart? Just because okay. just because the technicality was different. You were on your phone nonstop too. I'm not on my phone now. I bet you're on well, your I phone bet right I, now. My phone's laying over here, fool. <laughs> I ain't on my phone. <laughs> I did, however, I've been looking at my my hand. Do you see that? What? A little indention? Right here. It's a shape of a cross. And I have no clue why that's there. Oh, that is odd. You had to have laid it on something. What? I don't know. Isn't that weird? That'd be like the easiest way of stigmata I've ever seen. Usually it's painful because you actually have holes and stuff, but you just have an indention. 
It's not an addition. It looks like a scratch. Oh, maybe Freddy did it. I know Freddy don't know how to do a cross. You don't know that. It could have been accidental. That's just, it's just smart. freaking me out, though. All right, sorry. <laughs> I keep looking at it because I'm like, where the heck does this come from? <laughs> well, if you ever get attacked by a vampire, you just hold your hand up. So it works, sure. it works. I don't mind having a cross on me. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you for all of your uh, support. We greatly appreciate it. We do. We love y'all bunches. Have a great day. All right, Tracy. Want to say real quick a huge thank you to everybody who's purchased the book. We've actually moved up on the rankings. The last time I looked in Amazon, which it doesn't seem like that big of an accomplishment, but we were like, what, like 105,000 mm-hmm. on the list. But I've seen books that are in the three millions. So mm-hmm. for us to be anywhere near the top 100, 150,000 is amazing to me, considering how many books are on Amazon. So thank you for all of you done that. If you want to order a book from us, and, that, and funny thing is, like the books you order from our website aren't included in that number, and that's where most of them have came. Mm-hmm. So it would really be up there. Um, but if you order from Amazon, they're not signed. So cool. True. But if you want to order the book, we did lower the price of the ebook from $4.99 to $2.99 through the month of November. So if it's, you know, a situation where money may be a little bit tight or something like that, I just want everybody to have an opportunity to get it and check it out. So you can get that from Amazon.com. You can buy the, the paperback on there as well. And if you want an autographed version of it or uh, personally inscribed, you can get it off our website, hillbillyhorrorstories.com. Yeah, thank you guys so much for supporting my baby. Yeah, it means a lot to it. us. We appreciate you guys. And please, if you've gotten the book and you've had a chance to read it, please go to Amazon.com and review it. That's huge for us, even bigger than the reviews for the podcast are. Mm-hmm. So, all right, Tracy, speaking of reviews. All right. This week we had J Dub 1986 and our old Mojo Lobster. Yeah, how'd you know? <laughs> Thank you guys for your awesome reviews. And I know, uh, J Dub, I have a hard time saying that word old. So yeah. <laughs> old. I got a kick out of that. And then our Patreons are Brandon Smith and Julie. I'm, I don't know if I'm going to say your name right, honey. Is Eki, I hope, is what it is. Thank you guys um, for your support. It means the world to us. Um, I mean, you just amaze us every week with your kindness and your love shown toward us, and it means everything. Yep. Thank you guys for everything you do. Check out our new store. It's on the website. Just go to the store part on hibbillyhorrorstories.com. You can buy the book. You can buy shirts. You can buy hoodies. It's that time of the year. We're going to have a new Christmas shirt coming very soon. We're working (laughs) on a design. Uh, So we'll have that out, and we'll let you know as soon as that's out. Right now, though, let's listen to Tony Shearer from Lexington Paranormal Research Society. Hey, guys. We've got special guests galore going on this Halloween month, and... uh, this one's a guy that uh, we're pretty close to, Tracy and myself. It's Tony Shearer. He was just at the Bobby Mackey's show we did. He's also uh, a key member of the Lexington Paranormal Research Society. Of course, we've had uh, Lee Jacobs on uh, the phone before doing uh, some interviews. Plus, Lee also did the foreword for the book that we, we just had come out. So these guys, like I said, they're they're pretty awesome. Tony, thanks for coming on, buddy. Thank you. I appreciate the invitation. Oh, it's no problem at all. So we got to hang out a little bit at Bobby Mackey's. What what did you think about the experience uh, the other day? That was that was crazy. It was it was very enjoyable. I enjoyed it very much. It's that's the second time I've been there. That, that is one of the few places that creeps me out just a little bit when I first go in. You know, I go to a lot of places like that, and it's hit or miss. You know, like it would be for most places. You're not going to go in and spend two or three hours at a place and always have something happen. But Bobby Mackey's, for whatever reason. You know, it seems like it's the the place that never disappoints. I know last year we had some people get nauseous. We had people get scratched. This year, like uh, Kristen had something happen to her. Tracy had something happen to her. And I had something happen, which rarely happens to me. And, and uh, you know, a bunch of the other people we talked to, they all had occurrences there. So it just seems like every year that's the place where the people have the most occurrences. Yeah, it seems like it. I mean, evidently there is definitely a lot going on in that place. We may never know for sure exactly what all it is, but it's definitely a hot spot. So real quick, I know you got a couple of stories. We're going to talk about Waverly, which, you know, we can't talk about Bobby Mackey, I don't think, without talking about Waverly. Those two go hand in hand. And you're going to also talk about uh, uh, Perryville Battlefield, which is something we're going to eventually do a show on in the future. 
But before we do, tell everybody just a really quick about what Lexington Paranormal Research Society is. Lexington Paranormal Research Society is a group of famous individuals I've had the opportunity to work with probably about the last five years. And our goal is to help people. We have people reach out to us that have things going on that they don't understand. Uh, sometimes they're actually afraid of. And we try to go in and help them to figure out what's going on and uh, resolve some of their issues and and give them uh, answers to what it is they're experiencing. It's just like anything else. You know, there's some things you go into and it's things can we go into it uh, very skeptical and there's some things that can be explained. And then there's some things that fall into that realm of, of paranormal which can't be explained. And we try to help them work through that. Uh, another thing that we do, uh, I'm, I know you're, you're aware of, is um, we're actually working with DMZ Productions on a uh, program called History Alive, which is basically, it, it's a show that is a mix of history or history of a particular place and is that history affected by something that's paranormal. I mean, uh, that's something that we're in the process of, of working on, and I think it's actually, you know, the producer has pitched it to, uh, to someone, so we're just kind of waiting on that. Hope it's kind of slowed things down a bit, but we're hopeful that uh, it will get picked up. So let's talk a little bit about Waverly. You said you've had a really cool experience in Waverly, so uh, I'm just going to turn the mic over to you and let you tell me what's going on or what happened during that time. Oh uh, yeah, we could we could spend a lot of time talking about Waverly Hills. <laughs> <laughs> One of the most memorable things that happened uh, when my son Jordan got old enough to kind of pick up on the, on his dad's hobby, I actually took him with me up there. I was going to ask because I, I I was rude and didn't uh, even think to really ask uh, uh, who that was, but I thought that was your son. Yes, sir, it was. And uh, he he used to do a lot of things with me and. and and he grew up and got married, and he's he's got a family, and he's got a little boy, so he's been kind of busy with that. But he gets together with me and does things when he can. And so he was excited when I told him that, that we had an opportunity to go back to Mackey's. Nice. And, uh, but, yeah, it was <clears> – <throat> gosh, I can't remember. It's been so many times I've been up there. But this particular time that, that I took him with me, and we were investigating through the building, and we got some very interesting things. Uh, we got some, some good EVPs. There was one that, as we were going in down near the body chute over by the kitchen, uh, we picked up a voice of a little girl giggling. Uh, we were up on, I believe it was the second floor, which we'd heard of things happening with their whistles and things like that. We actually heard it sounded like an, an old music box that played about six chords on the recorder. But the craziest thing that happened that night, we were up on the fifth floor, and you've been there, you're familiar with it. There was one side that was for the kids. And for whatever reason, on the other side, the people that had actually uh, had the tuberculosis that was affecting their minds, they put them on the other side of the building next right. to the kid, near room 502. So uh, we were up on the fifth floor, and Jordan was out in the area in front of room 502. I'd actually walked out the doors onto the roof. And was out there and walked around toward the front over by the bell tower. And we were both doing EVP sessions. I actually got one out there on the roof when I was talking to someone. And it sounded like the young man said, my brother's up in heaven. Well, I picked that up. I did a quick review. And I was going back in to explain it to Jordan, tell him what I've gotten. And he was in there. And he was empathizing with the lady that the nurse had hung herself there. And he said, I'm sorry this has happened to you, the situation that happened with your child. You know, I want to understand. And with that, he got a response on an EVP that said, hear me, Jordan. Well, we thought that was cool that, that he got that. <clears throat> and that was amazing. But come to find out later on when we got home, and I plugged it in and put it in Audacity in uh, some voice recognition software and played it back, I let it play through and realized that we only got part of the message. The first part of the message said, hear me, Jordan. And then there was a brief pause, and it said, hearing's not enough. So you know, that that was crazy. And, of course, the fact that he had actually had someone call him by name. Right. Was, was, he, he didn't know what to think of that. It kind of freaked him out a little bit. 
And I said, well, you know, you were, you were empathizing with the lady. You were showing sympathy to her, and I think she reacted to that. That was probably one of the craziest things that I've ever happened uh, at Waverly. Yeah, let me ask you this. On Waverly, on the tours, like the two-hour regular tours that anybody can go on, they tell you up on the on the fourth floor, I don't know if you've ever been a party of this, but they always show you the shadow figures, and they'll have people walk out and hold their arms out so all the other attendees can actually see the shadows kind of migrate towards the person watching. Have you been a part of any of that? Actually, I have. I had some uh, a co-worker of mine, her daughters, who live, one of them lives in Colorado, one of them lives in Washington State, uh, were coming in to visit in August, and their mom asked them, what do you want to do? And their automatic response was they wanted to go to Waverly Hills. So I got with Tina and got everything set up and, and took them up there to that, which we had an amazing amazing time with that, and they enjoyed that. But, yeah, that was one of the things. Uh, two of them went down the hallway they're on the fourth floor, and yeah, you can actually see the shadow play, the uh, shadow figures moving. What's your opinion on that? Do you do you think that's really sat shadow figures? Do you feel like that's an optical illusion because of the darkness? What are your thoughts on it since you've had a chance to experience it for yourself? Yeah, I mean, I always tell people, and it's it's probably because of uh, I was a, I was a cat scout in the in the army, so. We did a lot of night operations, and one of the things that they train you in when, you, when you're out at night is you've got to constantly shift your vision. If you focus on one point in the dark, then those light rods in your eyes will start to distort things and make things funny. So I always tell people whenever you go somewhere, and even people when I investigate with them, you know, don't focus on one point and stare at it. You need to shift your vision slightly from side to side to use the new rods in your eyes where you'd be able to see more clearly and more accurately in the dark. Yeah. I've used that, and I have, in fact, seen things. As a matter of fact, the night that we were up there, I went down the hallway by myself and probably got about 50 yards down, and I actually saw the shadow of someone squatting down in one of the doorways. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's a cool place. I mean, there's no doubt that there's something going on up there. But, yeah, that was always the thing that got me because it seemed, like I said, no matter what, that fourth floor, you can always see those shadow figures. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So let's let's switch gears a little bit and talk about uh, Perryville Battlefield. Uh, yeah, Perryville Battlefield is, is a very interesting place. I encourage anybody that, that not only if they're just interested in the Civil War and everything or the paranormal, I mean, there you get the best of both worlds. And uh, again, it was it was one of the times I had Jordan with me, and we actually went for an investigation. And we actually ended up being the only two in the group with the, the folks that were running the investigation there. So we did our thing, and we went through the the battlefield. And I don't know, have you ever been to the battlefield? I haven't. I've rode past there, and I want to go. Uh, and that's what I was saying. We're going to do a story on it, but I want to wait till I actually go to the battlefield first. Yeah. Well, that night we were down there, and, and I was with a couple of guys, and Jordan was actually with another gentleman uh, walking a different part of the field. So we came out of the cornfield and came in the area what they called the sanctuary, which was when the, uh, the Union Confederates uh, engaged in the Confederates retreated into a grove of trees, which was referred to as a sanctuary. And so I was on, there was a tree line that goes down into that small ravine and there's a line of trees and i was on one side of that line of trees uh with a couple of folks and jordan was on the opposite side with another guy i was sitting there looking around and i looked up the hill toward the cornfield and the best way i can describe it it was a light anomaly and you know how when you see a, a shooting star yep how it's bright and then as it drops it burns out this was just the opposite it came up out of the field the grass was probably about two feet high it actually came up out of the field and became brighter as it came out and probably went about four feet out of, off the ground in intensity and then just vanished wow. i was intrigued by that and of course out of my peripheral vision i knew jordan and the other guy was on the other side of the trees so i hollered at jordan i said jordan and then he responded, but I was expecting him to be on my left-hand side, and he was actually over on the right. And then I'm sitting there thinking, wait a minute, if you're over here, who am I seeing with the guy over there? So I hollered at the guy over there. I'm like, who's with you? And he said, no one's with me. 
And I said, well, I just saw a shadow walking with you down into the uh, end of the grove. So that was kind of crazy. Um, and then later on, we came up and went up by the uh, cemetery. And as we were coming up out of the sanctuary, up near the museum and the graveyard, I kept hearing something that was moving behind us. So I got up there out of, out of the grove, and I was watching down the hill, and I could see a shadow moving. So I've got a, uh, a laser grid pen. I'm sure you've probably seen those before. It's got the little net of green light. Mm -hmm. So I took the diffuser off of it to where I could get a single beam. And I shined it down into the grove where the shadow was. And as I I was moving it from left to right uh, across the field, where you could see how far back it was going. And then when it got up to the area where I saw the shadow, whatever was there had enough mass to it that it was blocking the light. And then when I moved to the other side of it, of course, it went past it. So I hollered at a couple of guys. I said, come here, look at this. There's, there's something back there I can see. It's not a tree, but it has enough mass that it's blocking that laser from, from going back as far as it can go. Wow. So we had a couple of interesting things with that. And then we went over to the dye house, which was used as a makeshift hospital. And we were actually up on the second floor of the building. Jordan and I were up there by ourselves, and I was at in the room farthest to the right, and Jordan was in the main area that they use as a makeshift hospital. And we were doing some things. I had actually uh, pulled out my phone and, and pulled up some old uh, music from that time period and was playing that to see if we'd get something that, to make a response with that. And we're going along, and Jordan had the recorder in his hand, and he was doing the EVP session. And I wasn't getting anything in the room that I was in, and so I moved over into the room where he was. He was moving toward the stairs, and he stopped and turned real fast, and he said he felt something brush the back of his head. And so we went back and and reviewed his EVP, and you actually heard someone in that house say his name after that happened, after they touched him, like they didn't want him to leave. One of those things that he's had two different places where he's actually been called by name. Damn, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's cool and frightening at the same time. You know, it's yeah. uh, it's crazy. It kind of makes you wonder if he uh, is an attractor. Yeah, I mean, he uh, he definitely has a gift. Good, bad, or indifferent, I don't know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> tell, if we'd been at Mackey's and somebody said his name, he'd probably freaked out. Probably so. Tell everybody how they can keep up with History Alive and Lexington Paranormal Research Society in general. Oh, sure. Um, we have a website. Uh, which is Lexington Paranormal, LexParanormal.com, which people can get on there and, and see us. But they can also follow us on social media, either on Instagram or Facebook at Lexington Paranormal Research Society or History Alive TV. And they'll be able to follow and keep up with everything that we've got going on in in both situations. Perfect, brother. It was good talking with you, and it was good seeing you the good other day. Good talking to you. Yeah, I look forward to getting together with you again. And just a throw out to everybody. If you've never been to one of Jerry and Tracy's live events, you need to go. Well, I appreciate it. That was my first one, and I enjoyed it very much. Yeah, that one, like I said, is a little bit different than most because it's got the tour, and it's actually inside the haunted location. I wish we could do more things like that. Maybe we'll get you uh, you guys to maybe get a set up at Waveland or something. Yeah. Or maybe maybe do something payable or something. Yeah, that would be awesome. All right, brother. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. You have a good night. All right, thank you guys, and we'll see you next week with a fresh new episode. Bye, guys. Love you.